0: Okay so Noah's wife. (laughs) I'm going to read you the story of Noah um, from Genesis 8 and then I'm going to read a little bit as well from Matthew 26. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, "'Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground.' so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And then from Matthew 26, verses 36 to 44 a day and the hour unknown is the heading in the NIV translation but about that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father as it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man for in the days before the flood people were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this... If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because when the Son of Man, sorry, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him.
1: So it's good to be with you all this morning, and uh, just listening to to Catherine, I think some of you are probably thinking, what on earth possessed this woman to choose Noah's wife as an unsung hero? Um, The truth is that the story of the Noah family, as I like to refer to it, um, is one that really um, became something significant to me. Oh, I think about... Uh, Eight years ago when I was asked to give a talk to um, a regional group of um, members of girls brigade Because they were doing a craft activity around um, the Noah family story Um, And so it was the first time I really considered the story other than childhood Um, And so since then I've really thought of its its significance in a way sometimes we don't consider Um, It's also a story that is very much, as it turns out, in the hearts of minds of the chaplaincy team that I'm a part of at Anglia Ruskin University. So as well as being a regional minister for Eastern Baptist Association, I also, when I can, when I have time, um, do some chaplaincy work at Anglia Ruskin University, the Cambridge campus. And so as part of Welcome Week, which was uh, for um, last week for that particular university, um, The very creative lead chaplain that we have there um, did a a Noah's pudding. I don't know if anyone's ever come across Noah's pudding, but the idea that in the ark um, it would have been grains and things that were used um, to produce this pudding. So very colourful story. Um, So with Noah in my mind and heart for various reasons, when Catherine asked me to speak on an unsung hero, Noah's wife came to mind. So here we are. Let's see what God has to say to us through that story um, this morning. I think one of the things I want to start with is to say how fascinating it is that Jesus is recorded as referring to the Noah family story. And so in our second reading in Matthew's Gospel, that reference to the day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the sun, but only the Father, for for as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And as I say, it was only eight years ago when I was really grappling with that story. I realized that Jesus refers to the story of the Noah family. And I found it fascinating that as he talks about his second coming, he invokes the story of the Noah family. And so for me, that tells us that there are implications about that story that we really need to ponder and take on board. And so often when we um, do reflect on the story of the Noah family, our experience, perhaps a lot of the time, has been the focus being on Noah. But this morning, I want us to um, actually think of the story from the point of view of Noah's wife, use our imaginations to begin to think of the story, thinking about Noah's wife. We don't know her name, as is the case um, with a number of women in the Bible. They are often um, nameless, lots wife and, and so forth. Um, Jewish tradition suggests that her name may be Neymar, but we don't know with any conclusive, in any conclusive way that was her name. Now, as we think about women in the Bible, I'm... Um, always conscious of um, the need to work with a text. For many people who aren't Christian, they sort of think of the Bible and they think, why have the women not got a name? So it's kind of how do you work with the text in the 21st century that we find ourselves in and helping people to understand actually the Bible is so relevant and important. And for me, when we celebrate things like International Women's Day. So every year, International Women's Day is marked. This year, the theme was embrace equity. I always think um, it's really important. One of the ways we do things like embrace equity is to think of the role that women have played and do play at so many levels in um, fulfilling God's mission, playing their part in fulfilling God's mission, joining in with what God is doing. And has been doing and so if we think about that one of the important things to do as i say is to ponder that story again of the noah family but thinking of noah's wife thinking about how we need to give due consideration to some of the courage and the contributions she must have played in this story that we so often overlook I don't think that God wants us to overlook it. Yes, when the Bible was written in a very male-dominated world, it wasn't thought important necessarily to put lots of detail around the women. But it doesn't mean that as we read the Bible now that God doesn't want us to consider those women's perspectives and significance. We mustn't forget, if we ever wonder about the significance of women and God's plans for women, as is often said, the first to witness the resurrected Christ was women. God values the contributions of all human beings of all backgrounds. So thinking a little bit more about the Noah family story, we know that Noah was someone who was focused on doing the right thing leading his family in doing the right thing, no matter what was going on around him. And there was some pretty terrible stuff going on around him. If we read various chapters in in Genesis, um, from chapter 6 through to 9, we will pick up on some of it. But I want to get us to think about the conversations, trying to imagine the conversations that must have taken place between Noah and his wife. As God reveals to Noah that he wants him to build this ark to protect his family as well as the selected animals as a flood was going to wipe out most of the world. Just begin to picture those conversations. Picture also the context. Things were so bad in that moment because again, I, I sometimes think when we think about Noah family story, we don't think about just the 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 horror of it, the idea of the earth being wiped out, it's huge, it's challenging. God reaching a point where he's thinking he's made a big mistake in making human beings. That sense that we are nothing but trouble in that moment. And I'm not putting um, any words or any spin on it. Genesis chapter six, verse six, I quote, "'As the Lord was sorry he had ever made them "'and put them on the earth, It broke his heart. God had reached that point where he was thinking, I made these human beings. My goodness, did I make a mistake? We can begin to imagine God, his commentary as he looks on to see what's going on amongst humanity. We have that reference in earlier part of Genesis, that sense of being filled with joy, having created human beings, being pleased. Then a few chapters on, we get this sense of, God must have been thinking they've lost the plot. They're so selfish, they're lazy, they're too much like hard work. All of them, apart from that Noah family. The Noah family who appear to have been inspirational and that sense that God had that he could do something through them. God having that plan to get things back on track To focus on human beings experiencing life to the full, which was God's original plan, and so it's as a last resort, he breaks, as as we read, breaking God's heart, that he decides to flood the place, flood the earth. And it's in that context, the Noah family, the conversations between Noah and his wife, as the building of the ark takes place, to protect them as that flooding is going to happen the story unfolds. And then we know they spend an awful lot of time, as our reading told us, inside this ark. We know the story of the rainbow. The rainbow in the sky is a sign that God will never flood the earth again as it unfolds. So there's lots of positive things we think about the Noah family. Them saying yes to God's plan and doing as God said, building this ark, following God's instructions and therefore able to survive the flood. But as we hear that story, as I say, there's a huge but. There's a but, as I say, imagining the conversations, the reality, for those of you that are married, just imagine that kind of conversation. For those of you that aren't married, but just imagine having the conversation with a friend or another family member, Someone telling you something so huge and different and challenging, countercultural to what's going on, that's going to take place. We begin to see the potential significance and the role that Noah's wife must have played. We don't have to think too hard if we think about church history that has followed thousands of years that have gone on since then. And we think about any significant Christian leader we can think of. I don't know who comes to mind as you think of significant Christian leaders, and then think about the potential role their partners played in fulfilling that. For me, when I was thinking about this, significant leaders that we often think about, the person that came to mind was the Baptist minister Martin Luther King Jr. We know he made some incredible speeches, we know that he mobilized millions across the world to struggle for a more just society what we often forget is his wife, Coretta Scott King. Now, if you've read any of her memoirs, the story um, behind him, and, and if you know anything of her story, how she comes to the fore as he is assassinated, she becomes a key leader. She takes on much of what he was doing, but you get a sense of what she was doing behind the scenes anyway. He may have been a key face of the movement, but she was absolutely key to what was taking place. You might say there would have been no Martin Luther King Jr. as we know him, without a Coretta Scott King. But so often people know of him, but little of her. In the Noah family story, they must have faced all sorts of ridicule through the process of the ark being built. Imagine that. What it must have been like for Noah. What it must have been like for the family. And what role did Noah's wife play in that? I can't imagine, as we sometimes gloss over as we tell this story, that every moment, every day, Noah being been like, yeah, this is, you know, this is fine, yeah, you know, positive, people saying all sorts of, him, yeah, no problem. I imagine the support, the conversations that would have taken place in that family context. We don't know enough about Noah's wife to know the extent to which He carried her, she carried him, what days, the proportion, we don't know. But we know for them to emerge at the end, they must have worked well together as team in that process. It reminds us, perhaps, that it's always a team effort. Even if, as I say, one person is more the face of a movement, a challenge, a task, than others are. Anyone that knows me will tell you that I'm a huge tennis fan, huge, huge tennis fan. So, the last couple of weeks, I was glued to the US Open as the tennis unfolded. And I was beyond overjoyed when a certain Coco Goff won. I was so rooting for her, like so many others. An incredibly inspirational woman, 19 years of age, um, been on the circuit playing for the last four years, all the pressure on her expectation to achieve, so incredibly inspired that in the moment all that's going on as she's won, she kneels and she prays, recognising where her strength has come from. In her speech at So So Forth afterwards, the interesting thing is how she recognises it's a team effort. There would be no Coco Gauff US Open champion without her parents, without her coaches, her trainers, her physios. All those people that we don't see and know played significant roles in enabling her to be where she is. This is why we need to reflect on that story of the Noah family and, as I say, not overlook Noah's wife. Especially as that story of Noah's family, building that ark, is part of the biggest story that unfolds in the Bible. As after the floods and the Noah family were saved, many more years would pass and human beings as we are would eventually get up to old tricks again. Being selfish, being lazy, being rude, being hurtful, being imperfect, the imperfect human beings that we are. But this time, as we know as the story unfolds, God's answer is to come in human form as Christ Jesus. To show human beings just how much they are loved, and to provide this living example of how we are to live in a way that we can understand and embrace what God's plans were for all of us to experience life to the full. You might say, that God, in deciding to come as human form, was deciding to get involved in activities that would help all of us, all human beings, discover just how many talents that we have, how we can use these talents to make this world a better place for ourselves, for others to live in, to work, to study in. And we recognize that so much suffering and pain in our world also happens when we overlook some of the contributions, some of the talents that God has given each and every one of us, when we don't recognise the diversity of gifts and talents, we start to, sometimes inadvertently, see people as more insignificant than others. And we don't recognise the part that everyone has to play. And so we're perhaps challenged, I imagine, through this series of On Song Heroes, to maybe ask ourselves, how and why have we overlooked some of these characters? What are we missing when we miss these characters? How does that play out in life, everyday life? Do we do the same thing? Is it those people that are the most articulate, the most charismatic, that we put so much attention on, we overlook in our decision making what we do, those who play what might appear to be smaller but incredibly significant and important roles. I'm not someone that knows huge amounts about um, nature and ecosystems, but we are learning that you mess with what you think is insignificant and small and unimportant, it has huge consequences. There are some lessons in there for us to learn. I would say, as we think about the Noah family story in its entirety, we start to begin to think about the fact that we are part of a church community. We start to think more in communal, community terms, and that we all have a part to play in that community. And I would say, metaphorically speaking, we have a part to play like the Noah family, building an ark that enables us and others to embrace God's offer to experience life to the full in a Christ-like way. As church, we are metaphorically like a Noah family building an ark. There's plenty of room for all who are interested in building this ark just as God has designed it by following Christ's example. And as this building is taking place, there will be people as there were in the Noah family's day who think the way in which the church, as the church seeks to follow the example of Christ now, in spending our time, they will think we are crazy. That it is futile, it is not worthy. Some of the stuff that church people engage in, prioritizing giving to the poor, speaking up against injustice, being kind to people even when it's costly and it takes the effort, rather than just not simply thinking about ourselves. Meditating on and contemplating scripture, sharing the good news, story of who God is, through, a, through the experiences of the ancient Israel uh, family, and, and as well as people like the Noah family, as well as the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. There will be people who think we're crazy for spending time the way in which we do, living our lives the way we are. But the thing is, the reality of being church community means that we are involved in those kinds of activities. And in doing so, we are discovering for ourselves and helping others discover just how many talents we have and they have and how we can use them and God is calling us to do. In ways that build the kind of character we need to play our role in making this world a better place for us and others to live and study in, work in, all in readiness for that second coming of Christ, at which point Christ's followers will metaphorically have that sanctuary of the ark. In the meantime, as we think about all of this as it unfolds, we have an opportunity to give thanks, give thanks for and commit to building up Barnwell Baptist Church, including that exciting new dimension of Mali, as a community, helping each and every one discover just how many talents you are you have and how you can and might use them, and how you might build and grow in character, the kind of character that you will each need as you seek to, to fulfill some of the visions I know, God-given visions that all of you sense that you've had for a while now. It's exciting stuff, but it's also challenging stuff. And it will require so much work, so many hands on deck, we might say. And it will be absolutely crucial that each of you recognizes the place, the role that you have to play and that no one is overlooked. No one thinks they are too insignificant. No one is just focused, as I say, on the more obvious characters, but actually people who may seem less significant in the world's terms, but in God's terms, through God's eyes, through God's lens, every single one of us is significant and has a role to play. And when one of us doesn't play our role, someone else misses out or suffers. It's all interconnected. This interdependent way in which we live is crucial. And so you might say our daily challenge is to behave like the Noah family and those that we are around, encouraging them to do the same in so many ways. Fixing our eyes on Christ Putting Christ first. No matter what is going on around us, forsaking all things, but putting our trust in God. Wonderful conversation I had with Jenny this morning. We were talking about how do we define faith. Putting Christ first. Forsaking all other things. Putting Christ first. Not overlooking the smaller things or what we think are the smaller things remembering the family connection that we all are and so my prayer very much for each and every one of you is wherever you are in this journey whatever the role you think you have to play um, others may see within you holding that all together that you would be filled with hope that the Noah family story would fill you with hope that we would know and recognize the risen Christ amongst us And that there would be a willingness to share that hope in a way in which life is lived on a daily basis, helping to bring forth God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.